0: is
1: I say we need to find friends like this because listen all of us need mentors people in our life who raise the bar on who we are, who call us beyond where we are right now. Now, I know we don't like this because we kind of like being where we are, don't we? We we don't really want somebody to invite us to raise the level, to, to take the next step. You know, we we love people very much unless they challenge us to do something that we want to do. Like, Like, it's a lost art in this day and age.
0: You can picture it in your mind. The baby is just about to take his or her first steps. The parent is a short distance away, arms out, calling their child to walk toward them. You see, from the time you were young, you needed people in your life to show you the way and help you to take those big steps. Today, Pastor Daniel shares that you never grow out of needing this. It's essential that you have people in your life who challenge you to be better. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in 1 Kings chapter 19 as he continues his message, Fear, Faith, and Friendship.
1: People, like 980 of them got up. And me and these other pastors who I was with, and the, and, and the person who put on the meeting, they're like, man, what is And we prayed for folks, laid hands, anointed with oil, folks, for like three hours. And, and God did an amazing work. But right after that, right after I prayed for the last person, like, we need to get you out of here. Why? Because you preach Jesus is the only way. The cops are coming, people are angry. And instead of being like, look, God just moved on people's lives, I automatically got totally freaked out. Totally freaked out. Like, 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 I had all this faith to trust that Jesus could save all these people, but I didn't have enough faith that if God called me here, he's going to protect me in this moment. And I totally freaked out on the inside. And in a lot of ways, I see this in the life of Elijah, and I see this in our lives as well. God can do anything. He's done extraordinary things, and right as right as Jezebel threatens Elijah, he freaks out and he runs. Now, you got to realize that Elijah has been in the north of Israel. And so when he chooses to run, obviously he goes to Beersheba, which belongs in Judah. So he's, he's heading south, right? He left a servant there in Beersheba. Then he himself took another day's journey, it says, into the wilderness. In the, in the Hebrew, it's the word Negev, which is the southern desert and the South part of Israel, you know, and sure enough, you know he's, he falls asleep under this broom tree, which was not didn 't give a lot of shade, but gave enough shade for the climate he was in, and he lay down and, and what 's amazing is is the Lord starts speaking to him you know, and provides for him again, just the way he did before. Remember when God fed him with with, with ravens and the water from the brook now? You know, he, he wakes on up and there's a cake baked and, and, and you know, there's, there's some bread that's baked and there's a jar of water. And, and God is supernaturally, again, providing for Elijah, right? And, and then Elijah falls asleep again. He gets woken up again. Here, take some, you need more food. And then he travels 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb. Now what's amazing is, is really Elijah is taking that trek back. That the children of Israel took on their way out of Egypt. Because Horeb was where God met with Moses. And and so, and so he travels all the way back towards Mount Sinai. To, towards that whole area where the children of Israel had been wandering in the wilderness. So he takes this long journey. And what's amazing is, is over all of these days. Right? The Lord says to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And in verse 10, Elijah's like, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek my life. Now, you realize what he's doing. Elijah's completely accentuating the negative, and that's what happens when we get fearful. We think everything that could possibly go wrong is going wrong. He didn't say, listen, the children had forsaken you, but we just had this showdown on Mount Carmel, and you rain down fire, and all the people repent, and they killed all the prophets, and you know, listen, I'm just freaked out because Jezebel's trying to kill me. But instead, all he can focus on is all the bad things that are wrong. And listen, fear is real, but it's still a liar. Fear takes things that are true and applies it in ways that are false. He's saying, listen, just kill me. Just get, just get rid of me. I don't even want to deal with this. He's beside himself. And, and I think sometimes we forget that People who God uses in mighty ways are still just flawed humans. But we see this in the life of Elijah. He is completely freaked out. He doesn't have any perspective. But what I love so much about the Lord is that when we find ourselves freaking out, the Lord loves to give us perspective. Look at what happens next. Verse 11, 1 Kings 19, it says, Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And so it was, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face "'in his mantle, and he went out, "'and he stood in the entrance of the cave. "'Suddenly a voice came to him and said, "'What are you doing here, Elijah?' "'And he said, "'I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts "'because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, "'torn down your altars, "'and killed your prophets with the sword, "'and I alone am left, "'and they seek to take my life.' "'Then the Lord said to him, "'Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus.' And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Saphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Now you see what happens. As Elijah's there on Mount Horeb, God wants to meet with Elijah. God isn't gonna waste Elijah's freak out session. God wants to do a work there. And so sure enough, God is reminding Elijah of something very, very simple that we need to remember. And it's simply this, that you and I, we need to learn how to encounter Jesus in stillness. See, Elijah just had the pyrotechnics of Mount Carmel. He was just being fed miraculously. And and as all of these different kind of loud cataclysmic things are happening, it keeps saying that the Lord is not in it. The Lord was not in the strong wind. And, And that wind was so strong, it broke the rocks of the mountain. God wasn't in the earthquake. God wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in all the big, loud things. God wanted to speak to Elijah in a still, small voice. And what I've learned in my own life is that so much of our life is kind of lived in times of spectacle, right? Like, we are the big things, the big, you know, the, the loud things, the pomp and all this stuff. But really, God loves to meet with us. In that still small voice. And we have to find in the midst of a loud world, places of silence, solitude in our own hearts where God can speak. Where God can whisper to us. You know, and I don't know what your world looks like today, but I realize that our world is getting louder and louder by the moment. Listen, don't get me wrong, I'm not against technology. I love the fact that I can find out what's happening anywhere in the world in an instant. Just pull out my phone, pull out a computer, you know. I love the fact that I can listen to music of any sort all the time. I can stream it from multiple, I love the technologies that we have. But what I'm also reminded is that in a loud world, God wants to make my heart and our heart places of stillness of silence and solitude where he can speak to us and if we are not intentional about cultivating that we could end up like elijah where we're just we move from one big thing to the next big thing event to event hoping that these epic experiences are going to sustain us but we're seeing it in the life of elijah that it really doesn't you know, we, we've talked about this. 2020 has been a year of renewal. We want to be with Jesus. And so we want to encounter Jesus in stillness. Of course, Psalm 46, verses 10 and 11 says it this way. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Refuge. You know, one of the things God's been really speaking to me about in our time in quarantine is that God wants to make Crossroads a house of prayer for all nations. He wants us to be not just a church that prays, but a praying church. And really, in order for Crossroads to be a house of prayer, each one of our lives needs to be a house of prayer. Our homes need to be a house of prayer. We need to learn how to shut the noise off and tune in to the hush, whispering voice of the Lord. We need to be able to hear God's still, small voice. I think for many of us, God has been whispering to us, and we've been waiting for the earthquake. We've been waiting for the wind that's so strong that it will break the rocks. We've been waiting for the fire. And it's amazing how often that we can, we're can, we always looking for, where's the fire? Where, where can I experience God in power? And, and I'm not saying that's wrong. It happens. But really, God likes to speak to us quietly. He wants our hearts to be tuned in to the frequency of his whisper, his subtle voice. You know, and in a culture that likes it louder, more pyrotechnics, I feel like we're losing that as a culture and I believe it's something that as we're seeing it in the life of Elijah, you know, his faith was not sustained by the epic happening on Mount Carmel. But when God meets him in a still small voice, Elijah gets his marching orders. He, he learns what's going on because in that still small voice, what does God say to him? He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? He's like, why are you here? Because again, if Elijah would have thought about it, he would have been fleeing. He would have stopped and said, Lord, what am I supposed to do now? But instead, he's running on emotions. He's running on fear. And God is saying, listen, what are you doing? And Elijah explains to him. He says that, that, that the children of Israel are trying to kill me. They're not trying to kill him. Just Jezebel doesn't like him. He just killed all of her prophets, right? And I love, God simply gives Elijah his marching orders. And really, God gives him three, a threefold commission. One is in the realm of international politics. He's supposed to anoint a new king to succeed Belhadad, a man named Hazael, in uh, the adversary city of Damascus. Second, in the, kind of the realm of national affairs, he was going to go anoint Jehu to be the next king in Israel. And then in the spiritual realm, he says, I want you to go find Elisha. And I want you to make him a prophet. I want you to prepare him to take over for, for you. you know, and, and really what the Lord says though is, I want you to go back the way you came. I want you, you're out here. I want you to go back to where you were. And I have this work that I want you to do. Now, what's amazing is, is I mean, Elijah just traveled a long way, right? 40 days and 40 nights. And the Lord's like, yeah, actually, you're supposed to go back. And, and can I just say this? Because as I was praying about this and, and seeking the Lord on this, I think there's some of us, you need to go back. You need to go back the way you came. Right now, you're in a place you're not supposed to be. You did it because you were scared. You took a whole bunch of steps, and really, you're supposed to be back to where you, where you were before. God wants you to go back and go do what he's called you to do. And I just feel like I'm supposed to say it. Now, personally speaking, I had this experience one time. When I felt called into ministry, I had just moved from... Uh, where I was living in Southern Oregon, a church that I loved, pastor who was investing in my life, and I'd moved down to the Bay Area with a, a group that I was playing when I was pursuing a career in music. And I remember when I felt called into ministry, I had talked to the pastor that I was going to in the church in the Bay Area that I'd been at for a couple months, but I just decided I was just going to go back up to uh, Southern Oregon because I knew people there, and the pastor had you know, affirmed my call to ministry. And I remember, so I just went and I just went back up. I moved all my stuff back up, the, the five-hour drive up I-5, you know, to, to move back up. But I remember as I was seeking the Lord, I must have been back up in, in Ashland, Oregon for about four days. I was sitting by uh, the Ashland Creek where I would spent a lot of time reading my Bible. And I remember the Lord's like, you're actually supposed to be back in the Bay Area. You know, you're, you're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be there. You have to go back. And I remember just being like, oh, man, I just moved all my stuff again. Like I just moved to go down. I just moved to come back and I got to move again. People are going to think I'm dumb. Maybe I was, but listen, but I went back to the Bay Area and I got taken on staff uh, as an intern and then eventually, you know, uh, prepared and apprentice to, to be a pastor at, under my pastor, Pastor John Henry Corcoran. And so that idea of you got to go back the way you came. I think that for some of you right now, that's a word from the Lord that in fear you ran out ahead of God. You've, you've done all these different things, but it was in fear. And God wants you to go back because he's got a work that he wants you to do. And I love how God just gives Elijah this kind of threefold commission. You're going to install a new king in Damascus? You're going to anoint a new king for Israel? Oh yeah, and I want you to start raising up your successor. And look at what happens next. First Kings 19, picking up in verse 19, it says this. So he departed from there, And he found Elisha, the son of Saphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the 12th, and then Elijah passed by him, and he threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen, and he ran after Elijah. And he said, please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him, and he took the yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them and he boiled their flesh using the ox's equipment and he gave it to the people and they ate. And then he arose and he followed Elijah and became his servant. Now, I would say to you this way that, you know, in a lot of ways, we need to find friends like this. We need to find friends like this. Why? Because Elijah comes to summon Elisha. So that he can raise him up to function in a way that he hadn 't been functioning before, God had told Elijah that he had to go find Elisha because he was going to prepare him and so sure enough, Elijah did exactly what God said. he found his way back, he goes and he finds and, and elisha, this who becomes the great successor to Elijah and, and this great prophet he 's you know working in the field he 's got these twelve yoke. Of oxen, you know, which means that his family was was wealthy and and he was working hard, and sure enough, Elijah just took his mantle, which was like his his cloak almost, and he just kind of threw it over him, you know, which was a symbolic way of saying. You know, God wants to use you in a powerful way. And and sure enough, Eli- Elisha comes to him and says, well, can I go back and let me say goodbye to my family and, you know, and then I'm going to follow you. And, and Elijah says to him, in effect, you know, oh, what have I done to you? It, it, was, an, it was a Hebraic idiom, which means just do as you please. Just, like, I'm not stopping you. And sure enough, Elisha, you got to love what he did because he goes on back and he kills all the oxen and he and he cooks them all using all of the gear to yoke the oxen. So so Elisha burns the bridges. He he can't go back. All the oxen are dead. All of the yoking and the wood was used to cook the oxen. And then he goes and he follows after Elijah. And in a lot of ways, I say we need to find friends like this because listen, all of us need mentors people in our life who raise the bar on who we are, who call us beyond where we are right now. Now, I know we don't like this because we kind of like being where we are, don't we? We we don't really want somebody to invite us to raise the level, to, to take the next step. You know, we, we love people very much unless they challenge us to do something that we want to do. Like, like it's a lost art in this day and age. But if you think about it, uh, almost everybody who's been successful in any field, they always, almost always have somebody who was older than them who poured into their life. You know, if you like sports, they, they talk about the blessing of, of a great veteran culture within, within, a, within sports. You know, where all of a sudden you have somebody who's been in the league for a long time and they help teach the rookies or the young players in the league how to be professional. I think for me as a pastor, my pastor John Henry Corcoran, Pastor Bill Ritchie here at Crossroads, I've had so many older brothers in the faith and, and in the ministry take time to invest in me and, and to help me understand things and see things from different places. And I think that's what God wants to do within the context of not only local church here across us but also within our community groups. He wants to link us up with people who invite us to take the next step. Elisha could have very easily Work those fields for the rest of his life. Twelve yoke of oxen. No doubt he could have done that. and He could have been very, very successful. But God had something else for Elisha. And, and God used Elijah to be able to reveal this to him. Elisha may never have known, but Elijah comes and he throws his mantle on him. And Elijah's like, oh, I'm being, I'm being invited by the prophet. And instead of Waffling or waiting, or you know, you know, throwing out fleeces. He just like, man, he just burns the oxen. He just, he just gets rid of everything. He burns those bridges. He can't go back. And sure enough, he begins to follow Elijah. And it is a great reminder for us because it says this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. It says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now what I love about this verse is it really shows what the Bible calls discipleship, what it's really all about. Discipleship is when somebody who knows the word and knows the Lord invested into someone, in this case Paul invested into Timothy, and he tells Timothy, now I want you to go find other people who you can give this to, who they can go give it to another people. So you have these four, almost four steps of spiritual multiplication. And Elijah is doing that with Elisha. We're going to find when you see the life of Elisha, Elisha ends up having this school of the prophets. So Elisha receives it from Elijah and then he pours it into this, this group of prophets. And this is the way God grows his kingdom through spiritual friendship, not just friends' friends, like, you know, I like to watch the game with that person, or we like to go and go boating together. But really, the, the most important friends are friends who you can do fun things together, but you serve the Lord together, and when you have great mentors and great people in your life who speak into your life. What's amazing is, is God uses this time of fear to speak to Elijah, to get him to be thinking about legacy. What happens after Elijah's ministry is done? God's like, I I don't wanna leave the people of God without a prophet, so we're gonna get Elisha raised up. And I believe God wants all of us to be poured into the way Elisha is allowing Elijah to pour into him. And then God also wants us to choose to pour into other people, to, to spiritually reproduce ourselves in other people. And here at Crossroads, you being in a community group is the best way to do that. Because it gives you an access to be able to, to learn from people and also to be pouring to other people. And as a church that has got, you know, The bulk of our church is in community groups at this point. We're seeing that happen all over the place. And if you're not in community groups, we want to get you into those because you need to find a friend like Elijah was to Elisha. You need to find a friend who raises the level of who you are, invites you into what God has. So as I bring this message to a close, listen, don't be afraid. You know, and don't miss. After times of great victory, oftentimes comes a lot of dumb decisions. We see it in the life of Elijah. But but listen, make sure that you encounter Jesus in stillness. That that you allow your heart to be a quiet place in the midst of the loudness of the world. That God can speak into your heart, and as He speaks into your heart, make sure that you take those steps of faith to. Build a spiritual community, spiritual friendships that really edify, build up, and help people take the next steps. Jesus is real.
0: Pastor Daniel closed out today's message by encouraging you to be like Elisha and let someone else pour into you and raise the bar for you. It's not always comfortable, but you need friends like this. People who help you grow and have a vision for you that's greater than what you would choose for yourself. And you need to be this kind of friend for others too. God desires for you to be a part of an
1: interconnected community of people who follow him. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel and I wanna be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy and the hard reality is if it isn't messy for you now, it will be. And it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, you can, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances of your life. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com.
0: Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio, when Pastor Daniel will discuss how people can get so wrapped up in getting what they want that they don't realize what it'll cost. You'll see this in the lives of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. They were willing to use any means to get what they wanted, even at the expense of innocent lives. But as you'll learn, this huge miscalculation would cost them greatly. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time, as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Crisis. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.